CSN International presents To Every Man an Answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1-888-827-5276. Again, that's 1-888-ASK-CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Monday's edition of To Every Man and Answer. Glad you've joined us as we start up this brand new week. So many things going on in the world, so many things going on in the news. Hey, isn't it nice to know your name is written in the Book of Life, that there's a RSVP reservation sticker for you at the Marriage Supper of the Lamb in heaven. Just think when you get there in heaven, you're going to be walking down in this big room, and there's going to be a place on the table with your name already there. God knew you were coming. You know, if you're listening to this and you're not right with God, today's the day. You know, the Bible says today is the appointed day of salvation. Never put off tomorrow what you can do today, for you may not have tomorrow. And so that's why it's important that we get right with God today. How do I get right with God, you might ask? The Bible says if we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you believe with your whole heart, put your faith, hope, and trust in If you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Isn't that good to know? You can change your destiny from hell to heaven with simply just a prayer saying, God, whatever I have left in my life, I'm going to surrender to you, and I'm turning my life over to you. I repent of the absolute foolish way that I have lived to define life my way. And from now on, I want to be about your business. That's why you were put here on earth. That's why you found that no matter what you ever did in your life, never brings any satisfaction, always leaves an emptiness. Oh, it it gives a thrill for a while, but then it goes away. And you wonder, what, why am I here? Well, I just want to encourage you, be about your father's business, and you will find the purpose of why you were put on this earth. Joining me today, special guest Scott Parker from Festus, Missouri, pastor of Calvary Chapel there. Hi and welcome. Hello, Mike. It's great to be with you today. Look forward to being with you. And again, uh, so many things going on in the world. And I just want to encourage everybody, keep looking up. Our redemption draws nigh. We want to be about our Father's business in these days. And so, Scott, I'm so glad you've joined us today. Looking forward to being with you. And uh, again, if you want to be part of the program, that number to call again, 8888-ASK-CSN. Real simple. We got some lines open. So what are you waiting for? Give us a call. Hey, we'll do our very best to answer those questions as you read your Bible, come across something you don't understand, wondering what's going on in the world, how to make heads or tails of it from what the Bible says. Hey, again, 8888-ASK-CSN. CSN is the number to call. You can be part of the program today. Well, with that, we will go to the phones. I believe we've got Maude on the line from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Hi, and welcome. Hi, I'm calling. um, I've been listening to you for about two years, and I have a question I've heard a lot of pastors give different views on. Um, When Eve ate of the fruit in the garden and Adam was there and he ate of it, they immediately, their eyes were open. Was that conscious, their conscience, um, knowing right and wrong, or was it something? Well, I believe, yes, it is the the knowledge of good and evil, and they realized they had done evil. You see, up to that time, it was the age of innocence. 
But now it's the age of really rebellion to God. And you see, God said, don't eat of the tree. Satan said, eat of the tree. Who's your daddy? And man sold this world into slavery, into sin, into the devil's hands when he ate of the tree. Instead of obeying God, he obeyed the devil. This is why when Jesus, after his baptism, was led into the wilderness, and the Bible says he was t- uh, he he for 40 days, and he was tempted by the devil there. And at one particular point, Satan showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and he said, these are mine, Jesus, and mine to whomever I want to give them to, if you'll bow down and worship me. Jesus did not respond and say, oh, no, they're not. No, no, they're my father's kingdom. No, no, he didn't argue. He knew that was true. This world was sold into slavery, and man as well. That's why Jesus said in John 3, you must be born again, because something died within the heart of man. That innocence, sin took over. Their consciousness was seared, the Bible says, as it is even so today. Your thoughts, Scott? Yeah, that's exactly right, Mike. And Maude, what's interesting is when you go back and you read Genesis, what you see is that before Adam and Eve sinned, all they knew up to that point was good. Uh, when God created everything on the six days of creation, after each day of creation, he said that it, the Bible says that God saw it and it was good. And then when he created man on the sixth day, uh, God looked at all of his creation and said it was very good. And so all that Adam and Eve knew at that time was good. They had everything that they needed. God had provided everything for them and everything was good. It wasn't until they were tempted by, or Eve was tempted by the serpent, that then there was the opportunity for them then to uh, to be tempted with the whole idea of evil or something that's bad. So that's why that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's good and evil. They already knew good. They didn't know evil. And I do believe, too, that they already had a conscience. Uh, that's something that God has placed into every man. Paul tells us in the book of Romans that we all, being made in the image of God, that God has given us all a conscience. Um, but what we see after the fall, after Adam and Eve's sin, is now their conscience is is now, um, should I say, it's 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 become like an alarm system. You know, um, all they knew up until they sinned was good, so there was no reason for their conscience to become what we would call maybe an evil conscience or a conscience that's 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 a sin conscience uh, because they had never sinned. But after they sinned, then they had the understanding that they sinned. So I don't think it was because they never had a conscience. And that's when they received their conscience. Um, but it was when they chose to disobey God's clear command to not eat of that tree. When they disobeyed that, then their own conscience that was already in them then pricked them. And that's why after they sinned, if you remember, they sowed fig leaves to cover their nakedness and then hid behind a tree <laughs> uh, to try to uh, to deal with their guilty conscience and, of course, with their shame uh, that they felt uh, for sinning against God. So I believe the conscience was always there. The Bible kind of bears that out. Uh, but what happened was they did not – they never had known evil until that point where they uh, heeded to the uh, serpent's voice in disobeying God. And when they did that, all of a sudden now their conscience, um, you know, it, it bothered them, and it should have, because that's what the conscience is. The, the conscience is 
like a fire alarm. Okay. It's, it's like an alarm system. Uh, as long as there's no fire, you know, your, your conscience, uh, is quiet in the, in the sense, in the sense of when there's no fire, the fire alarm doesn't go off. Uh, it's quiet. Uh, and that's where our conscience is when we're, when we're not doing things that violate what God has told us, our conscience is quiet, uh, because everything is good. Uh, but then when we do something that we know, um, that is against what God tells us, then all of a sudden our conscience begins to bother us. It begins to speak loudly to us. Uh, so it's like an alarm system to tell us that something's wrong. And so I believe that's what was happening there in the Garden of Eden. So, Mike. Yeah. Eat of the tree and you'll be as God. And <laughs> so beware of any group of people, religion, individual that says you can be as, you can be God. That right. is the the first lie that was ever sold to man. And unfortunately today, even in many religions, they're still buying into this idea that you're going to be a guide yourself. This is what was sold to Eve, got man kicked out of the garden. And there's two things for sure. One, there is a God. Two, you're not it, nor ever will be. And the Bible is very clear on that. If you go to Isaiah 44, God says, I am God alone, and besides me there is no other. No other planets with gods. No, you're going to be a guide yourself of your own utopian universe. Nope. The Bible clearly says there's only one God in the entire universe, and that is our king. And so I pray that you understand that. And Maud, I hope that that answers your question concerning Eve and her conscience. It does, but I wanted to ask Romans 2, is that where Paul, Paul mentions, like, we all have a conscience? And he was talking uh-huh. about the... But y- I just yes, wanted ma'am. to make sure. Great. Yes. Thank you so much. This helps a lot. Maud, stay in line. I'll send you out a couple of books, a couple of uh, DVDs I think you'll enjoy. And so stay in line. We'll get you fixed up. 88... 88- 88. Ask CSN is the number to call if you uh, want to be part of the program today. Let's go to Joel in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Hi and welcome. Yes, Brother Tony. Hello. How may we help? Yes, uh, Brother. Uh, I've always been putting uh, in my heart for a while now that I should uh, uh, bring to your attention that there are four words that are hurting the body of Christ. Uh, very bad. I don't know. Uh, and um, if you if you want to hear them, I can let you know. Well, I I I I think there's a whole lot more that's wrong with humankind than just four words. The Bible says, "Those that know to do good and doeth it not, to them it is sin." And I think we see a whole world that it's turned to its own way. And I believe this is why we see the problems that we have everywhere. First, we have a departure from God's Word. People are adding their own words to the Bible, or they're simply just rewriting the Bible to suit their own belief. I think that's the number one. Number two, that Jesus is not the only Savior of the world, and He's not God. That's what they teach. But the Bible says There's only one mediator between God and man, and that's Christ Jesus. And so we know that there is no other name under heaven which man can be saved but Jesus Christ. And so that's the second part we want to look at, is that 
Now, again, there's always going to be the devil's lies, the delusion, the uh, hundred truths to sell a single lie that'll get you. And so this is the next problem that we find. Number three, that there is no hell. Uh, hell is a beautiful place. It's a figment of your imagination. It's not real. It's annihilation. The, Jesus spoke 11 times about hell in the Gospels. So it is a very real place. And the Bible said it's not annihilation. The book of Jude says they'll be tormented uh, day and night in fire, day and night forever. That's not annihilation. And then we also know that there is, um, again, Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. That's, I believe, so important, how we have a new life, how we are born again. It isn't by joining a church or it isn't be, uh, you know, just really a great humanitarian. It really turns back to simply finding ourselves in Christ. So really, Joel, I think that's the bottom line. I, I wish we could limit it to four words, but it's much greater than that. Well, brother, hello. Yes, brother. Yeah, um, the four words uh, that that the Lord told me was uh, uh, incredible, fun, cool, and stupid. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, that would describe a lot of people uh, and those of of uh, the kingdom. I, I believe it's going to be incredible when we get there. But there's a lot of people that, well, I, I don't want to say stupid, but certainly misled. They think they're going to live forever. I don't need to accept Christ today. I mean, I'm going to live eternally here on this earth. And they don't realize that every day they get closer and closer to their departure date. You know, your your thoughts on this? Yeah, that's exactly right, Mike. You know, it's uh, it's interesting because, you know, thinking about that word stupid that uh, Joel brought up, um, I shared in church here recently that, uh, that's what sin does. Sin makes you stupid. And, uh, you know, the difference between stupid and ignorance, um, is the fact that people who are ignorant, they don't have the information they need. They, they don't have the knowledge they need. Uh, but people who are stupid. And when they are, these are people who know the truth, but yet they reject it and they will not listen to it and they will not heed it. And it's exactly what Paul talked about. Um, when he described the the Roman culture in the book of Romans, chapter 1, in verses 18 through the rest of the chapter. And so it's very interesting that uh, Paul talks about these people who, who who knew the truth, and they suppressed the truth of God. They held it down. They didn't want to be obedient to it. They didn't want to be accountable to God. And I tell you what, when you read Romans chapter 1, in verses 18 and on, um, what you have there is you, you have what's, what I would call the devolution of man, not the evolution, but the devolution. He's devolving. And that's what happens when man rejects God's truth. And I believe, um, you know, that's what we're seeing, not only here in our nation, but all around the world right now is because people have rejected God's truth. And Mike, like you said, it goes back to the Garden of Eden when, whenever Satan came to, Eve, and what did he do? He challenged the word of God. Did God really say this? And um, you know what? When we do that and we reject God's word, uh, even though, as Paul would say in Romans 2, uh, not only has God given us his written word, uh, but he's also written his his law on our conscience and our own hearts. And so 
Um, God has given us plenty of evidence uh, in chapter one, or I'm sorry, in in, in Romans uh, chapter one about creation. He shows us through creation that he exists. And then also in our conscience and in our hearts, God has put that in us that we know uh, what is right and wrong. And then on top of that, he gives us, he, of course, he gave to the Jews his written word, but then he also uh, sent Christ. And so there's no reason for any of us uh, to to take God's word, shove it away, think we know better. It's just plain stupidity. And any nation and any culture that does that is headed for disaster, and which I think describes what we've been talking about. Amen. Joel, hope that helps. God bless you. Stay online. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs I think you'll really enjoy, and especially Atheist Delusion by Ray Comfort. It's really great, good to use uh, for your uh, friends that uh, you want to bring to Christ. Stay online, Joel. We'll get you taken care of. Great thought. Four words. Let's go to Joy. Hawaii, aloha. Hi, thank you for taking my call. My question is, should Christians attend gay gay weddings? And I'll hang up and listen. Well, Joy, I, I believe this is a very, very difficult subject. Not really from the aspect of the Bible, but I believe from the aspect of our culture. You see, when we go someplace, like to a wedding, we're, we're bringing our, our blessing. Uh, we're not just saying, hey, I'm showing up to be uh, nice to my nephew or my daughter or my son or grandma or grandpa, whoever's getting married. But we're really um, putting our hand and saying amen to what they're doing. That is part of why you have an attendance at a wedding. The attendance at a wedding is witnesses. In fact, oftentimes in the marriage vows, as we all are here today as witnesses of this of this uh, union between this man and this woman, uh, we're all witnesses to that. We're, we're, we're testifying to it. And then we bring a gift, usually, which says, hey, I want to bless you, you know, in, in uh, your, your new relationship. I think where the problems come from is that our attendance in a gay wedding, uh, marrying somebody, marrying a transvestite or, or something else along that lines, we are giving our condolences where our condolences should not be. We're giving our blessing where our blessing should not be. And I believe what a person should do then is I would think that if if, if I if I was in this position, I, I would write a letter to the person that I love that's getting married and say, uh, I will not be at the wedding, not because I do not love you. It's because I do. You see, what I believe you're doing is wrong. I believe there'll be consequences in what you're doing down the road. I'm not there because I don't love you. I am there because I love you. And I would love to get you a gift, but I cannot say amen to what you're doing because I believe it's going to leave a real deep scar in your life. And I don't want to be one of those people who attend that said amen as you're going to get that deep scar in your life later on. That's the way I would do it. Uh, uh, because again, the Bible is very clear on what marriage is. And to redefine it 21st century, I believe we have a lot of trouble when we do those kinds of things. 
Because again, the Bible tells us what's acceptable to God and what is not acceptable to God. Citing Romans chapter 1, of course, as the principle that we find in the New Testament. Of course, you have Sodom and Gomorrah Old Testament. You have other places in the Bible where it talks about that in the Old Testament. Principally, Romans chapter 1 in the New Testament is extremely clear what God will bless and what God won't bless. So I'm not saying we don't love the people that we're not going to be attending their their wedding on, but how can I with good conscience say amen to something that is so contrary to what the Bible says and that they are entering into a relationship the Bible says they're going to have to repent from if they're ever going to go to heaven. I don't want to give somebody buggy springs on their ride to hell. I want to be sure that they know that what they're doing is wrong. And I can't say, well, Mike, you're unloving. No, wait a minute. You, you, there, there are restrictions to love. Uh, in other words, love isn't, well, do your own thing, baby. No, that's not what love is. Well, I love you, kids. And, you know, if you want to burn the house down and throw all the furniture out in the lawn, you know, break all the windows out of the house, I love you. You don't love them, you hate them. Because real love requires what? Ooh, here's that nasty word, discipline. Oh, man. That's what we have to do. And so to tell somebody, hey, you're on the wrong road, is what a real friend that really loves does. And so I believe that if we're really going to be honest and we're really going to represent what the Bible says, well, what about where the Bible says that Jesus hung out with the publicans and sinners? Yes, he did. But when we enter in, I believe, to covenants with each other that are contrary to what the Bible says, I need to be very careful where I'm saying my amen to. And my amen oftentimes comes by simply our presence at a place. Your thoughts, Scott? Mike, I agree with that 100%. And, you know, when you go to the scriptures, you see in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, God makes it very clear there are two genders, male and female, and that between the male and female in marriage, that they become one. We see that in Genesis chapter 2. Uh, but what's interesting, it is in verse 28 of chapter 1 of Genesis where God says that is the union that is blessed. That's the union that God blesses. And because of that, as Christians, we can only put our approval and our blessing on what God has already blessed and already approved. Um, you know, it's it's very interesting uh, because, you know, there's a scripture where Jesus told Peter, if you remember in Matthew uh, 16, where he said, uh, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever's loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's interesting because when you study that scripture, a lot of people use it for, you know, binding the devil and all this kind of thing. But what he's talking about is we can, as Christians, we can only bless and bind and, and loose those things that God in his word has already bind and loosed. That's the point. So as Christians, we can only bless and approve what God blesses and approves. And God is the one who defines marriage. And when you come to chapter 2 of Genesis, he makes it very clear that it's the two that become one. And he literally tells us there that it's the male and the female that become one. And they become one in the sense of physically through through uh, sexual intimacy, um, which which cannot 
absolutely cannot naturally happen uh, between people who uh, are homosexual. They, they don't have that ability. And uh, so what's interesting is you see the oneness that God speaks of in body, soul, uh, and spirit together. And so it's very important to understand that God is the one who defines marriage, and he is the one who instituted it in Genesis chapter 2 when he brought Adam and Eve together and said the two shall become one. So here's the point. The point is God is the one who instituted marriage, which means this is a holy thing. And this is why it's important to Christians. This is why it's important for us uh, to take a righteous stand on these kind of things because these are non-negotiables that God has set in his word very clearly. And not only do we see them, you know, in his word as, as, you know, commands and here's, here's the way he, he, he tells us to live, but he also designed us, um, in, in this physical world for what he commanded to be able to happen. Um, you know, between man and woman, you have procreation, the love of a man and woman coming together produces life. That's amazing. That is something that without outside intervention uh, cannot happen between two people of the same sex. And so it's this is a, a big issue. It's a very important issue. And I agree totally with what Pastor Mike said that when it comes down to this, I think the best thing to do is if this is someone, obviously there's someone you truly love because they've invited you to the wedding, I think it is best to be upfront with them and somehow, whether it's in a, in a letter or if you can talk to them face-to-face, but communicate it to them that you love them. And Paul told us, right, when we deal with people, to speak the truth because that's what people need. That's the most loving thing you can do is speak the truth, but speak the truth in love. And I think it's important for us Christians to articulate, hey, here's why I can't come to the wedding and why I won't. But still, at the same time, I love you and I'm praying for you. And I think that's that's the best way to handle it. Back, Mike? Amen. I hope that answers your question for you, dear, because I know it's a very, very sensitive subject. Yeah. I realize that we have to use all, um, all of God's leading and guidance on this. But again... When we go as a witness to something the Bible says is absolutely wrong, I believe we need to be very, very careful. And I know there's some well-known ministers out there that are saying, oh, yeah, you can go and buy him a gift. I would not do that. I do not find that you will find that in the Scripture, especially when they're that contrary to the Word of God. And again, your presence— Again, where you go, the kingdom of God goes. And so I would be sure to write them a letter, tell them why you're not there, and tell them that you're always there for them if they ever need someone to talk to, because they will. Coming up on a break, everyone, don't go away. We'll have a whole lot more right after this. We'll be right back. You know, it's true. Difficult times have a way of focusing us. We have to think about what matters most when it comes to our spending, our health care. This is why so many people are joining MediShare right now. MediShare is a trusted way to save up to 50% on your monthly health care costs. More than 400,000 people have already made the switch. It's pretty obvious why, too, especially now during this challenging season with health care costs and out-of-pocket expenses going up. MediShare can save you a lot of money. The typical family saves $500 a month. MediShare works, too. It's been around for 30 years. Members have shared more than $5 billion of each other's bills. There are different options to choose from to fit your budget. I'll give you the number here in a second. And if you call, you can get a price within two minutes. Maybe now is the perfect time to make the switch and start saving. 
Here you go. Call 855-91-BIBLE. That's 855-91-BIBLE. 855-91-BIBLE. This is a sound of not just one, not just two, but three heartbeats. Heartbeats that were birthed through the ministry of preborn who helped this mother of triplets choose life. The heartbeat of a preborn baby can be heard as early as five weeks on ultrasound. The sound of a heartbeat changes everything. I came seeking termination, but once I got here and I took an ultrasound, I was overjoyed when I found out that I was having three baby boys. Preborn is the country's largest provider of free ultrasounds for moms in crisis. Preborn pregnancy clinics share the heartbeats of those in the greatest need, preborn babies. To learn how you can be a part of rescuing babies' lives, call 855-668-BABY. That's 855-668-BABY. Or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. And we want to welcome you back to part two of Timmy Man and Answer here on this Monday afternoon with Scott Parker from Calvary Chapel Festus, Missouri, right outside St. Louis. And uh, we just want to go right back to the phones. We have Cindy on the line in Prineville, Oregon. Hi, welcome. Hello. Hi, how may we help? Yeah, I have a question. Um, if Adam and Lee Eve had not sinned in the garden, do you think they still would have had children? Well, it would certainly probably appear that way, uh, because I believe the rest of creation probably went ahead and had had uh, offspring as well. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, that's a great question, and I think there is a clear answer to it when you look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. So when God created uh, Adam and Eve, male and female, um, it tells us very clearly there that God said for them to multiply uh, on the face of the earth. He blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply. So this was, this was before, uh, they had sinned. So God definitely equipped them <laughs> to be able to have children. Um, and so, you know, I, I think too, Mike, there's, there's a, another subject here that maybe I don't know how <laughs> far we go with it on the air, but you know, it's this idea that the, that the sexual intimacy between a man and a woman is somehow sinful. Uh, it's not. Um, God created, as I talked about in the last question, uh, God created man and a woman the way he did so that they could become one, uh, not only in, in spiritual things and, and in their souls as friends and, and, and mates, but also physically as one. And so when it comes to the idea of sexual intimacy, um, a lot of people think that it's something nasty. It's something bad that Adam and Eve wouldn't have had sex, you know, unless they had sinned, you know. Um, and, uh, some people go as far, I mean, really wacky people, right? Cult people. I've heard some ideas where, uh, you know, Satan, when he possessed the serpent that he actually had, uh, sex with Eve and produced, um, you know, this, this evil seed. I mean, people have some crazy ideas, but when it comes to sexual intimacy between a man and a woman, it's always been God's design. He designed us that way. It was always his purpose. The first purpose, of course, when it comes to sexual intimacy and marriage uh, is to procreate, which is what we see in Genesis 128. And all of that was designed by God, pre-planned before 
man sinned. So I, my answer according to scripture would be, um, yes, they, they would have had children, I believe, even if, um, they hadn't sinned. And by the way, it gives us the idea too, um, when you read about the results of the curse of sin, that Eve would have probably bore children without any pain because that was one of the results of sin is he says now in childbirth. And he says that as if God is saying that to Eve, as if it was already planned, she was going to have children, but now it will be in pain because uh, they had sinned against God. Mike. Hope that answers it for you, Cindy. It does. Thank you so much. Stay on line if you like. Send you out Atheist Delusion by Ray Comfort, as well as Time to Grow, a little booklet that's great for uh, helping new Christians as well as looking for a church. Some people use that as a template. And then also God of Wonders, a great DVD on how God made everything. And then the book of uh, the the movie Jesus based on the book of Luke. Stay on the line. We'll get that out to you. Great for evangelism. Let's go to Connie in Wichita, Kansas. Hi and welcome. Thank you. I know you've been talking a lot about the angels and if they mated with women, and I really like what you said. Uh, it's brought a lot of light to me. But I just had a question because I was kind of taught that they did cohabitate with women, so I just had some scriptures. I wish I uh, was wondering if you could kind of help me sure. understand because I thought these scriptures tied into that the angels cohabitated. And the first one is First Peter three nineteen through twenty. Okay. Uh, do you do you want to read that to us? Oh, okay. Uh, I thought I had it. Let me see. I thought it marked my Bible here. Is that, is that where the angels kept not their first estate? No, that was in Jude, and that was my other scripture. It says, by which he went and preached uh, unto the spirits in prison, which, uh, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. So I was always told that the spirits were uh, who he preached to was the, you know, the angels that cohabitated because I thought they got locked up in prison. Yeah, that's that's pretty out there. Your thoughts, Scott? Yeah, well, it's interesting because a lot of good Bible scholars um, do hold that what Peter was talking about there, the spirits in prison, um, was talking about the people of Noah's day, not just those particular angels or the Nephilim and all of that, but the people in Noah's day. Now, I do know this. I know that uh, J. Vernon McGee, uh, he, in interpreting that scripture, he says that what was happening um, or or what was going on was um, that um, – oh, how, how was it he interpreted this? He, he says that the Holy Spirit was through Noah um, speaking to the people in Noah's day and relates it to that scripture. So it's, it's very interesting. You know, and when it comes to this whole – this whole issue – um, you know, those scriptures that you want to share with us, you know, in Peter and Jude, you know, they speak about angels that have fallen and such. And, uh, you know, when it comes to this issue of the Nephilim, you know, there's, there's different views on it and, and good Bible scholars and good Bible teachers, you know, differ on, you know, were the sons of God angels or not, or were they, were they sons of men? 
Um, and then when you tie all these scriptures in together, uh, really what you believe about Genesis chapter six, uh, is going to determine, you know, how you interpret these other scriptures. And, um, maybe I, I wish I could, I wish I could have really remembered exactly how it was David McGee tran- or how he interpreted that first Peter, uh, chapter three, uh, scripture, because basically what he said was, was it was, it was Christ, um, who through that, that, this is it. It was Christ through the Holy Spirit during Noah's day that was preaching to the people of Noah's day. So, um, not all Bible scholars hold that, that whenever, um, Jesus went and proclaimed his victory there, that he, he did it particularly to the Nephilim or to those fallen angels. So Mike. The idea of humans having sex with angels, as many people are trying to bring up in in Genesis chapter 6, was foreign to all Bible interpretation until about 350 A.D. And with the help of the book of Enoch, which is not Scripture, it's got a lot of really kooky stuff in it. Um, This is why it was not uh, recognized as Scripture. Jesus never quoted from it. Um, there's a statement there in the book of Jude uh, that the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints, as Enoch said. But again, the book of Enoch was was written fifteen hundred years after um, after Enoch, so we know that Enoch didn't write it. Somebody put his name on it and no doubt quoted that verse. The problem is, is that Jesus said that which is spirit is spirit, that which is flesh is flesh. And I I believe this is very important for us to understand. Um, And Jesus does the commentary on Genesis 6. He says, as in the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. They were eating, drinking, marrying, given in marriage until Noah entered the ark. No mention about wild sex parties with angels or anything like that. And I'm sure Jesus would have mentioned that if he mentions they were eating and drinking. Surely he would have brought something up as magnetismal as that would be. But but he doesn't because it wasn't happening. And so this is why I categorically reject it because of a lot of things. And interestingly enough, most all the people who want to bring this idea that these were angelic beings quote from the book of Enoch, well, start quoting from Mad Magazine then as well, or start quoting from any other kooky source you find on the internet, because the book of Enoch is a kooky source. And so should never, ever be used in any way, shape, or form for biblical doctrine. This is why it was rejected by the church fathers in 325 A.D. And I tell people, junk then, junk now. And so we have to be aware of what's going on in that, because otherwise— you begin to bring in all these other books. Well, it's, oh, what about the book of Mary and the gospel of Judas and all? Listen, they were rejected because there was something not right with them then. And so time did not correct what was wrong. And this is where you run into these problems of this. Jesus never spoke of this. Uh, And he 
really cites Genesis 6 very clearly, and he never mentions this. And the angels which kept not their first estate, they had a place in heaven. They rebelled with Lucifer, and they had been cast down to this earth. They didn't keep their first estate. But it doesn't mean they're sexual beings. It means that they didn't stay where God had designed them to be in heaven. Any other thoughts, Scott? No, Mike, I think, you know, I think we pretty much covered that. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's very interesting to me, Mike, because, um, you know, the days that we're living in and the things that are going on in our world, uh, especially with, um, what the Bible says is coming ahead. I think people are really grappling with this whole idea because they're trying to explain things. They're, they're trying to, um, you know, I, again, we've talked about this before and I know some pastors are talking about the Nephilim right now because they're trying to explain, uh, you know, and give an answer for UFO sightings and aliens and things like that. Um, and it kind of popularizes this and brings this all to a head. But the thing is, again, Mike, I, I think you said it so well is that, um, if this were such a big deal, um, then why didn't Jesus mention this and bring this up? You know, because when you go back, when you go back to Genesis six, what you see is the reason that God wiped out Noah's generation, the reason he judged them and he killed them all was because the Bible says the wickedness of man was great on the earth. They had filled the earth with violence and man's heart was on the intent. The thoughts of the intents on man's heart were on evil continually. Now, that is a generation that we have not seen on this earth since. Even when you compare it to first century Roman culture, that wasn't as bad as the days of Noah. And God saw fit that it was so bad. And when you read that scripture and see that, you see why God did what he did. Um, and so we, we know this. We know that in the tribulation period, it's going to be another time where it's going to be even worse in the future because uh, Jesus and Daniel both said that the tribulation period, that seven-year period, is going to be a time it's going to be so bad. It's going to be a time like the world has never seen before and will never see afterwards. And uh, it's, of course, speaking of God's judgment coming upon the earth, but also because of of mankind and his depravity and his intent on rejecting God and continuing into his sin. And so we see that very clearly because uh, Paul tells us, speaking to Timothy, about the end times, he actually gives us the disposition of people, how they're going to be uh, during that time. It's, go it's going to be an awful time. But I do know that people are are using this whole idea uh, of the Nephilim and the fallen angels from and, from Genesis 6, and they're trying to say it's going to be repeated in the end times. Um, you know, I've heard people say that, you know, the Nephilim are, are coming back. They're already here and all this sort of thing. And I think we just have to be very careful and we have to be as biblical as we possibly can and I agree with Mike. I think we need to reject uh, accepting the book of Enoch on a level and par as scripture. That is dangerous. Anytime we do that, we need to stick with what the Bible says. And again, I think if it were that big a deal in the end times, Jesus would have said, hey, watch out for the Nephilim. <laughs> you know, watch out for the sons of God. He didn't do that. But what he did say is he said, 
the, the one point Jesus did make about the days of Noah wasn't, wasn't about the Nephilim. It wasn't about all that. It was this, that in that day, people were living their lives. They were marrying and giving in marriage and eating and drinking. In other words, they were living their lives as, as if their lives were never going to end, as if there's no judgment, as if there's no God to give account, accountability for. And that's the point Jesus took out of the days of Noah to tell us that's what it's going to be like at the second coming, whenever the tribulation happens and he comes again. So I think that's an important thing for us to really look at scripture and very clearly interpret it with in light of other scriptures. Mike? Yeah, and one of the things we have to look at here, too, is if you go back and actually read Genesis 6, I'll just read this in verse 4. It says, and there were giants on the earth in those days. Now, these giants were not, not, not a result of humans and, and angels having sex or whoever the sons of God were. Right. You got to look at this. See, they say, and, 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 and so the, the, the humans had sex with, with demons and, and they made giants. It never, ever even implies that. Let's look at what it says here, just to clear this up for everyone. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, after the giants were on the earth, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bore children unto them. Those were the, those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. It doesn't say they were giants. See, people add to God's Word because they come to the Bible with a preconceived idea, and we're going to torture the Scripture till it confesses what I want it to say. And that's the problem. The giants were already there. Now, what were the men of renown? I don't know. I don't know that maybe they were extremely shrewd businessmen. Combining the sons of God, I believe the descendants of Seth, combining godly principles with worldly ideas. And when you realize when the daughters of men um, were really took away from the sons of God, God's purpose of the Redeemer that would come, because then we find an unusual verse, verse 8, that says, but Noah found grace in the sight of God. So Noah was the exception, not because he had um, a demon DNA in him. No, it's because he was somebody that sought after God. See, what I'm saying is people keep adding to God's word where it doesn't say that. Again, let's look at this again. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, the sons of God came into the daughters of men. So, first of all, no matter who the sons of God were, the giants were already here. And I believe that's probably caused by maybe crossbreeding, inbreeding, however you want to look at it. But that is what the Bible says. Now, understanding the men of renown, um, the what kind of renown is this? It doesn't say they were giants. So these are where the problems come from, and people go to the stratosphere bending Scripture to make it fit this. Jesus never spoke of this when he did the commentary on Genesis 6 in Matthew chapter 24. 
I know people get get angry with that because they, they, they go, well, I believe what I believe and don't confuse me with the facts. Well, this is why we need the facts, because it'll correct a lot of things that are wrong. The Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, Jesus taught the opposite. That which is spirit is spirit. That which is flesh is flesh. And I believe that's very important that we grab that. Connie, I hope that helps. No, it does. And I mean, I really liked what you said the other day about it. And I took it to heart and I believed everything you said. But then I just had these scriptures kind of come up because I was kind of taught that way that they tied in with the angels cohabitating, like in Jude, when it said strange flesh, I was taught that's what strange flesh was when he was talking about the angels, that they were cohabitating with women. But it never sat well with me. Like, I never, I just thought, that just seems weird, angels cohabitating with women. It just doesn't seem right. So, no, I was, I thank you, and uh, I appreciate you uh, teaching me, and I like what you say, and I believe it. I just wanted to ask you, but do we know what a giant is and where they came from? Or I mean, it's just, I'm just going to leave this as I'll find out. Well, they're around, they're around today, dear. I mean, um, we remember Andre the Giant that was in uh, Princess Bride. I mean, I think he was like nine-something feet tall. Now, he had a lot of health issues, and certainly we look back in the Bible, we see Goliath, and he had five brothers. We do know that there are these genetic things. In fact, Goliath had six fingers. So we, we on one hand, the thumb counting his thumb, he had six digits. Okay, so when we begin to understand and look at these anomalies, I believe there's a lot of things that can cause those things. And when you remember that men lived to be almost a thousand years old before the flood, the genetic tampering could have been very much uh, done. And Russia tried this back in the 50s to make a, a, a race of super warriors. I mean, very large, tall Oh, yeah, here we have a six foot five girl and you're a six foot seven man. You guys have babies. This was, they were doing this kind of stuff. So understanding that this is, this is real. It may have happened. And then we do know that the culture of the Philistines, which Goliath was, they were very sexually perverted. And this is one of the reasons why God had Israel wipe them out is because of their perversions. And so there's a lot of things that we, I think sometimes we don't know. But one of the things that I do know is we go to verse two, the sons of God saw the daughters of men. They were beautiful and they took for them, for themselves wives of Hoover, who, of, of themselves, of whom they chose. It wasn't who God chose for them. It's, and this is a problem today. Think of the people that we all know that Kids raised in a Christian home had fruit in their life. They were in church, and they meet some worldly uh, person, and they start dating them. Pretty soon, we find them moving in with the person. They're not walking in faith anymore, uh, uh, and they've abandoned their faith because they met a worldly person. That's why the Bible says, what fellowship does light have with darkness? And and I believe that, again, it's, it, the Bible forbids us to be unequally yoked together with non-believers. I believe this is what was happening here until everybody was just simply doing their own thing. Wives, whomever they chose. 
I think that's a big secret in understanding this first part of, of Genesis. Whoever they chose, it wasn't who God was choosing for them, but it's what they wanted. Well, what gets people in trouble? Look at Samson. What he chose was this woman who was not a, a not a, a person from the, the Jewish lineage. And he ended up being blinded. He ended up being a slave until finally his hair grew out and he finally caved the, the temple in on all those that were in it. We understand that our attractions in our soul, and for this is for everybody, you know, um, we walk with the Lord until we see some thing, someone, you know, some Tom Selleck, some some really cute babe, and all of a sudden, our, our whole faith is challenged, and we go, well, I don't know, you know, I, that looks pretty good to me, and we find ourselves going and doing things we should never do. Connie, I hope that helps. No, it did. I have another question, or I can call back in at another time. What's your question? Um, was Jesus always the Son of God? Always. Always, always. And there's false teaching that says he became the Son of God when he was born. That is not true. And we find it all the way through. If for a scripture reference point, go to John eight fifty eight. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. The word in the Greek is the word ego amini, and it's the same exact word in the Old Testament in the Hebrew where Moses says, who shall I say is sending me to the children of Israel? God spoke out of the bush. Tell them the I am sent you. And the Bible says in John eight fifty nine, they picked up stones to stone him because he was claiming to be God. Now, again, he uses the exact same words. Jesus also said in a couple of verses before John eight fifty eight, Abraham rejoiced to see my day saw it and was glad. And they said unto Jesus, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? And that's when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Very clearly, Jesus there is speaking of his pre-incarnate state before he was born in Bethlehem that he's always been. Again, read John 8, 50 uh, to the end of the chapter there. It's some great information for you, Connie. I'm reading in the Old Testament, and now I'm beginning to wonder if in the Old Testament, do we ever see the Father except for in creation? Or is this any time we've seen like Ezekiel's vision? I always thought that was the Father, but now I'm beginning to think it's Jesus throughout the whole Old Testament. Pretty much, yeah. You have Christophanies all the way through the Old Testament. The fourth in the in the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Nebuchadnezzar, so they see fourth, unlike to the Son of Man or Son of God. We find Joshua meeting um uh, this angel, and he bows down and worship him. He didn't say, "Don't do that; just worship God." No, he was he was accepting that praise. And so um, we find all the way through the Bible many pictures of Christophanies throughout Scripture. Hope that helps, Connie. Stay on the line for everybody that didn't get on. Please call us back. We'll pitch on first thing tomorrow. Thanks, Scott. God bless y'all. Good night. Please call one eight hundred three five seven four two two six or write us to Every Man and Answer, PO Box three nine one, Twin Falls, Idaho eight three three zero three. That toll free number is one eight hundred three five seven forty two twenty six. Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. 
to Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 